Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning. My name is Chris, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Hexo Q2 2021 earnings call. Before we begin, we would like to remind you that certain matters discussed in today's call or answers that may be given to questions asked could constitute forward-looking statements. These statements are based on the company's current internal reviews, estimates, expectations, and assumptions. These statements should not be read as assurances of future performance or results. They involve known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and other factors that could cause actual results, performance, or achievements to differ materially from current expectations and those implied by such statements. We would also note that we utilize certain non-IFRS measures in our financial reports, which may be discussed on today's call, and reconciliations between any such non-IFRS measures to their closest reported IFRS measures are included in our MD and A. The discussion is qualified in its entirety by the cautionary notes regarding forward-looking statements and the risk factors that are included at the end of this morning's earnings news release and in our MD and A filed with our second quarter of fiscal 2021 financial statements on CDAR and EDGAR this morning. Please view these materials for more information about forward-looking statements and the risk factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from our current expectations and those implied by such statements. EXO disclaims any intention or obligation, except to the extent required by law, to update or revise any forward-looking statements as a result of new information or future events or for any reason. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star followed by the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. I will now turn the call over to Sebastian St. Louis, CEO of Hexel. Good morning, everyone. Happy to get on this call to celebrate our big Q2 and uh, some reasons for optimism. We're starting to see vaccine rollouts uh, to uh, hopefully end this COVID pandemic once and for all uh, by uh, later in the year. Our safety of uh, the employees at Hexo remains paramount for us, and we're doing a phenomenal job uh, continuing to uh, avoid COVID and also reduce workplace accidents. A huge thank you to all our employees, the whole team, phenomenal work in getting us to EBITDA positive this year, uh, this quarter, which has been a, a, a huge achievement. Uh, and uh, also for being so successful, we haven't required any uh, government handouts uh, in, uh, during COVID. Uh, so we're uh, really uh, winning on our own. So I think that's a testament to the hard work we put in. Unfortunately, it does look like we're kicking off the Roaring Twenties a year too late, uh, given the situation, but we will be kicking it off. So we're looking forward to putting this behind us and having uh, consumption patterns return to normal, uh, people celebrating and getting back into social occasions once they're all vaccinated. It's been another record quarter of $45.7 million gross and $32.8 million net. 
were adjusted EBITDA positive for the first time in Hexel's history after seven straight quarters of adjusted EBITDA improvements. Our net revenue is up 12% sequentially from the first quarter and 93% versus the same quarter last year. We've made moves into the U.S. and hired a phenomenal GM of U.S. operations, Charlie Bowman. We've launched CBD beverages into Colorado legally with our partner Molson Coors under the Trust USA joint venture. And we've started to deploy capital to support those operations and the operations of future CPG partners that will join our Powered by Hexo production capabilities. We've had some trademark successes. Powered by Hexo is now registered in the, uh, in the EU. And our sales momentum uh, continues to increase across Canada. We're on the cusp of generating more sales outside of the province of Quebec than we do in Quebec, and that's while maintaining the number one position in Quebec. Our distribution remains uh, has tons of upside still, so we're sitting in a position where a lot of stores still do not carry Hexo products, and despite that, we're top three in Alberta, and quarter over quarter, uh, we went from the top five position in Ontario by market share to now flipping between the top four and top three position, depending on the week, based on headset data. We've relaunched our premium brand, Up, and it's going very well. We have $3.2 million of gross sales in the Up brand in Q2, and our other premium products, like OS Reserve, are winning awards. So OS Reserve won the Top Flower Award in December for Spirit Leaf. We remain the number one in beverages in Canada. And not only do we remain number one, but we're increasing market share. So depending, again, on the, the month uh, and the most recent numbers are showing the combined market share based on our internal proprietary data at 43% for Hexo brands uh, with Trust Canada. A huge success from that team and a big congratulations to our partner, Molson Coors, who's been instrumental in getting us to be the leading beverage brands in Canada. We currently have six of the top eight SKUs by revenue in the country. We look forward to replicating that success in the United States as we finish our test market in Colorado and start planning expansion in other states legally. Beverage grew about 11% in the quarter. January slowed down a bit after the December buy-ins and we're also informed by our partner that January and February is often a low seasonality event for beverage. So January and February a little bit slower overall, but still amid some growth. We're very excited to announce the acquisition of Zenibus. We're set to close sometime in early Q4. Uh, it's a phenomenal company. They have great momentum, great brands. Leadership there has been doing a phenomenal job in repositioning their products to resonate with consumers. Together, we're going to be a very solid top three contender in Canadian recreational sales. And we're closing in on the top two position. We're actually less than a million dollars in revenue away from that top two position at the time of this call. Really, the reason we're going to, we're so excited about it is because we have the assets to make M&A a true success. Our manufacturing facility in Belleville, which is a 900,000 square foot advanced footprint for CPG manufacturing, really allows us to go and get maximum synergies out of an acquisition like Xenobis. And we're quite excited over the next couple of quarters to show those synergies on the financials.
during all our phenomenal growth in Canada and our launch in Colorado, CPG partnerships have never stopped being our priority. So we continue to have lots of ongoing discussions and negotiations with world-class CPG companies, and we're looking forward to talk more about that in the following months. Health Canada has actually approved additional licensing at our Belleville Centre of Excellence, and that's to expand the site perimeter and to leverage the food technology complex. So we're now in a position uh, where we're even stronger to accept future CPG partners in the edible space. I'll turn it over to Trent to talk about finances. Thanks a lot, uh, Sebastian. So look, it's been another sequential quarter of no inventory write-downs or provisions, which keeps our P&L quite clean from that perspective. Uh, another sequential quarter with no impairments of long-lived assets, such as goodwill and tangibles and PT&E. Uh, so again, that goes back to our cleanup of the balance sheet uh, at the year end. Our operational cash flow usage remains quite low, uh, only using 2.9 million in the quarter and 8.1 million combined to three quarters, uh, the past three quarters, and that's not including non-cash working capital items. Over $250 million of working capital on our balance sheet at the end of the quarter with over $130 million of cash to cover our near and midterm uh, needs. Uh, so lots of pathway from an operational perspective. Uh, our gross margins, including adult use beverage, were, were 40% uh, with up having higher margins uh, due to our war on cause that we continue to, we continue to wage within our organization and we, and we continue to compete on price against the black market and other LPs who are trying to capture the same uh, same customer segment. Uh, so within that realm, still able to propel ourselves into very healthy margins. Ongoing restructuring to lower SG&A is still taking place. Uh, we want to get our SG&A down as a percentage of sales. So you'll see $860,000 of restructuring charges in the quarter uh, in relation to that strategy. Our GNA marketing, selling, and promotion, uh, our, our GNA marketing, selling, and promotion, and our R&D, when adding together, now at now uh, represent 47% of our net sales, down from 51% in Q1, and well ahead of industry norms. We believe there are still more improvements to make in the near and mid terms. Uh, had a, we did have several non-recurring type of expenditures on the P&L this quarter, uh, such as a $10 million revaluation of our U.S. currency warrants and a $2 million foreign exchange loss on the strength of the U.S. dollar. Uh, um, so there are a few things there. Uh, underlying fundamentals of the operations are getting stronger all the time, however, as, you can, as can be evidenced by the adjusted EBITDA uh, being positive for the first time in our history. So while we've had some one-time expenditures that uh, don't typically repeat that, that came through our P&L, the fundamentals are there and are improving with each sequential quarter. Uh, we, and I'd like to bring attention to the fact that, look, we still have a very clear path to ETS, and we still have SG&A targets that make sense for us and we believe are going to be very creative to our shareholders. Uh, I'd like to bring the attention also to the full dismissal of our class action lawsuit, which we press released not that long ago in New York, and uh, I think that was a great, uh, a great team effort on behalf of our internal general counsel and, and the team involved both internally and externally. And I'm very pleased to have been re uh, able to report that. So at that, I'm going to pass it back over to Sebastian. Sebastian? Thanks, Trent. I'd like to wish everybody safety and health 
as the global pandemic continues and as we get to the tail end of it. I'm very proud of the HEXO team for their dedication. They've navigated through this ever-evolving and unpredictable environment to positive EBITDA. Despite the many dire economic and social consequences the pandemic has caused, the cannabis industry continues to grow with strength. That's a testament to consumer demand for safe, legal, high-quality products that are offered by some of the licensed producers. The industry has a $2.9 billion run rate. We continue to grow. Hexo is in a top three market position in a market that's the size of California. We're closing in on being top two, which we believe will cement Hexo as one of the leading cannabis brands in Canada and giving us a platform for the world and to enter into the U.S. for years to come. Look forward to discussing more during Q&A, so we'll turn it over to questions. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from Aaron Gray of Alliance Global Partners. Your line is open. Hi, good morning, and nice job on inflecting to uh, profitability there. Um, so first question for me, um, Sebastian, you mentioned uh, the partnership you guys have right now with Molson Coors and potential additional partnerships uh, within CPG. So can you just give us an update kind of on that hub and spoke models kind of progressing? You've previously spoken about, you know, kind of moving away from, you know, the JV model to maybe some other models in terms of these partnerships. So why well, know you can't go into detail in terms of specific partners. Could you kind of go into uh, some, give us some color in terms of how those could potentially be structured if, if shifting back to the JV, you're still looking to do some other types of models as those evolve. Thanks. Happy to, Aaron. The, the JV with Molson has been really a fantastic learning experience, not just from a beverage perspective, but just from an overall structure and business perspective. And so uh, the, the agreements we're currently uh, in, in pretty final stages with uh, are, uh, are being negotiated around a royalty-type arrangement. So how the, uh, what we've done is we've removed a lot of the weight of the JV structure. We've leaned it out a lot, uh, which is tied into our strategic objective of bringing positive EPS soon. Uh, and so uh, what, uh, what the agreement will most likely uh, result in is Hexo producing edibles at our Belleville facility in the, uh, the food technology complex on behalf of these major CPGs with their technology and engineering assistance. Uh, at that point, Hexo will distribute and run it like our own business. We're going to brand the, those products under major recognizable brands because we're not limited uh, like, uh, like we are in the alcohol space. So, for example, uh, with, uh, with Molson, originally the plan was to launch a, uh, an infused Coors-type beverage. We were planning on leveraging the, the existing Molson brands, um, but uh, we were not able to do that because of a change in regulations along the way. Uh, we also have certain restrictions around products like our Little Victory product, which is hugely successful. People love the taste. Uh, that product is made with real dealkalized wine. And unfortunately, because of regulations, we're often not allowed to say that it's made with dealkalized wine. And I think that hurts the value proposition. 
we don't have those restrictions on edibles. And so by taking a leaner structure, by being able to lever existing brands, making that here, uh, and simply paying back a quarterly royalty, uh, which we expect to be able to do uh, in cash and uh, more often than not in stock, so it won't affect negative cash flow, uh, we think that'll be a leaner proposition to get us quickly to market. Perhaps the most exciting part of this structure is we've flipped it for U.S. and rest of world. So in the U.S. and the rest of world, the real advantage of the Powered by Hexo model is we can lever not just the distribution, but also the manufacturing capabilities of our CPG partners. We're bringing world-class facilities to bear, world-class knowledge and distribution that's already in place. So a very capital-light approach. We're exporting Hexo IP. I remind everybody on the call, Hexo remains uh, top two from an IP portfolio patent perspective in Canada. So we have phenomenal IP and it keeps growing uh, every quarter. So we're, uh, we're going to move that IP into those states legally. We're going to start in CBD from hemp, so not touching THC for the moment, but setting up all the infrastructure to do so when the uh, legislation changes in the U.S., which we're closely monitoring. That gives us access to give it about five states today in which we could operate. We've already test-bed Colorado with Molson by launching in January. Uh, and, so, uh, and so we think that that structure will allow us to rapidly proliferate product in the United States by uh, using mass channel distribution. So another interesting thing is that with Molson, uh, we are currently uh, in Colorado in grocery stores, uh, not just in traditional THC channels. Uh, although we're certainly not going to neglect the traditional THC channel, I think the multi-state operators are doing a phenomenal job as retail operators. And when the time comes, Hexel will certainly approach them to carry our Powered by Hexel line. Thanks, Nicole. That's uh, super helpful. Um, my second question uh, on the pending Xenobis acquisition. Uh, so you'll be acquiring you know, some indoor cultivation, you know, low-cost uh, production, adding to your own capabilities. Can you talk about how you're kind of looking to use that indoor cultivation in terms of, you know, your own brands? Do you look to leverage that more for, you know, your premium brands up um, because it might be a little more controllable um, with the indoor cultivation, how you're planning to leverage Zenibus's legacy brands or bringing them in with, with Hexos or just, you know, some of the plans you're looking to do once that uh, acquisition closes and you bring on the additional cultivation in. Thanks. Yeah, first of all, we're going to continue some of the phenomenal success that Zenibus has had with their brands. Uh, Namaste has great traction in the market, and we're, we're still uh, evaluating and working with the Zenibus team to make sure that we take a holistic approach and take the best from all brands to make sure that we can really round out the consumer occasions. The second part, uh, the Alphaville facility is a world-class facility. It's certainly one of the best indoor grows that exist in Canada today. Uh, I, I know over the last eight years I've visited most of them. Um, and uh, the, uh, that's certainly going to bolster our ability to, uh, to, to take up to new heights. So uh, our up product and our original stash reserve product are certainly going to benefit from that additional ultra-high quality uh, indoor control and capacity. All right, great. Thanks. I'll jump back in the queue. Your next question comes from Tammy Chen of BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Thanks. Morning. Um, Sasha, I wanted to go back to uh, the, the, uh, the comments you made with respect to uh, uh, the update on your current hub and spoke model. You mentioned some interesting uh, points there. And I was just wondering, um, 
to the extent that you can discuss or expand a bit on this, um, these current discussions that you're having, I mean, are there elements such as, you know, exclusivity for HEXO and are they more uh, focused on um, the Canadian market or you're having concurrent discussions um, for geographies such as U.S. and the rest of the world? And when you're talking about sort of these um, markets outside of Canada, is that is that also similarly a, a royalty structure or um, are discussions a bit more than that, such as a direct investment in you? Just a bit more color there to the extent that you can would be helpful. Thank you, Tammy. Uh, yeah, so we'll start with the direct investment. I don't. Hexo has plenty of access to capital, and in fact, we haven't diluted in, the, in a couple of quarters now. Uh, we're, we're very well set up. I mean, operationally, over 18 months of cash. Uh, we have our, our capex plans fully funded. We don't see that as a priority. Uh, that can create leverage to uh, miss the point of these partnerships. Um, so, to, to your question on exclusivity. The exclusivity and especially the IP and the control of the IP that will emerge out of these partnerships is critical as part of long-term value build. If you develop the best IP in the world and then end up having to compete with one of the largest com companies in the world with the same IP, uh, I believe you will lose. That's why Hexo is making sure that in these partnerships, both partners win, both partners are heavily invested in the IP, and where the direct investment goes is in pushing the business line. So, for example, what we've done with Bolson Coors was both invest and now about $115 million into standing up beverages in both Canada and the United States. These partnerships we're working on in the future, similarly, they're meaningless if they're Canada only. Canada is important. Hexo has all the distribution in Canada. Hexo delivers more value in Canada than the CPGs uh, bring in. However, where it really shines is in the value that we're able to lever together outside of Canada. And as such, we're really focused on making sure that these are uh, multi-country agreements, uh, sometimes global completely, uh, obviously with some nuances depending on which market and which, uh, which product line specifically. But uh, yes, we're looking at exclusivity. Yes, we're looking at global. Got it. That's helpful. Okay. And... Um uh, she actually mentioned that. My follow-up question is, um, and it's trying specifically for you, with respect to the CapEx, I think so far um, we're about halfway through your fiscal year. I think it's been about $7 million on CapEx. And I recall your previous uh, commentary was for this fiscal year, 40 to $65 million. So I'm just wondering if that's still kind of the outlook and so we should think that the CapEx will kind of really ramp up in the back half of the year. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's definitely going to be back half heavy, Tammy, uh, the, uh, but we, we were um, doing a, a, a few things and getting our operational uh, teams lean, uh, you know, we're this war on cogs that we've been waging. And so, you know, some of the projects that we had planned to start are now just beginning. And a couple of the big ones uh, that we think are going to be extremely accretive uh, to, to us. And, you know, that's, that's what we're, we're hoping to see anyway in the future. And so those have gotten a bit delayed, but not like not substantially. So some of the things that we thought would happen in third and fourth quarter might be, you know, fourth and then first, second quarter of next year before they're fully stood up. 
but it was the right thing to do on a couple of our major, uh, major, major projects uh, to make sure that we had the fundamentals right uh, so that we can add on top of something strong versus adding something else into a very complex, unorganized environment. So we're very, we're, we're very solid right now, and it started the process going with all these additions. Great. Thank you. Your next question comes from Vivian Azer of Cowan. Your line is open. Hi, thank you. Good morning. Good morning, Vivian. So I wanted to follow up on your commentary, please, on the United States um, and the CBD beverage test in Colorado. You noted that you were evaluating five other states. Interested to understand um, what initial insights you're gleaning um, from consumers and what key KPIs you're monitoring before you make the determination to, to expand beyond Colorado. Thank you. Thanks, Vivian. Uh, the, the first thing is just to monitor the uh, the brand traction and consumer tastes. And the this is a market-by-market market business. Uh, when we look at Colorado, it's certainly very different than uh, Quebec, very different than Ontario, uh, and we anticipate will be very different than uh, California, New York, et cetera. Uh, we're, we're looking at a total of five states where the regulations right now allow us, and, and I'm purposefully being cagey around the names of those states, just we, we believe that's a competitive advantage at the moment, uh, to, to participate in CBD. Uh, the, first, uh, the first step was really to establish that we could uh, build these uh, mass channel uh, grocery store penetrations, uh, and which, which has been done. So uh, now anecdotally, we're on most end caps in the groceries in which we, we participate. The product has displaced other CBD beverages that were available. So consumers are responding much in the same way that they've responded in Canada by making uh, trust beverages 43% of the market share because the taste is simply uh, more preferable to those consumers. They are responding in Colorado now, and we're, we're taking on those end caps. So what we're going to wait to see is uh, just to see the traction over the next few months for actual sales numbers, uh, reorders. We're uh, gaining experience with the case quantity uh, concept that we don't have uh, in Canada because of regulatory. Uh, we are working on uh, on the e-com support uh, for those businesses and basically setting up the whole infrastructure. Uh, during this time, we're also working on reducing COGS by shifting uh, from uh, third-party manufacturing to Molson manufacturing specifically. Uh, and uh, so we're working that out as well so that we can get a good sense of uh, CapEx expansion rollout and at what scale we can really bring this. So uh, we're, we're, expecting, uh, we're, we're expecting to have meaningful data, uh, say, by the end of May, uh, by which we would, uh, we would start to activate, uh, you know, the next state-by-state state strategy. That sounds great. Thank you for that caller. A quick follow-up for me on um, Canadian beverages from a regulatory standpoint. Any progress in expanding um, the unit limitations for consumer purchasers? So we've had some progress on XMG. So XMG, which is a smaller format, can, but that did not necessitate a regulatory change. So within the same regulatory framework, our XMG products, so our, our mango pineapple and, and, our, and our fruit punch, are now the two top-selling SKUs in Canada uh, for, from a beverage perspective. Uh, and those, those are available in eight packs. So you can essentially buy eight cans of XMG versus five bottled beverages because of the milliliters. We have not had success on a regulatory basis in actually affecting change. We have had uh, quite a bit of success as an industry to get Health Canada and the regulator to listen. But understandably, they have their hands very full with the pandemic right now and so uh, cannabis reform has not been a priority. So it's more of a matter of uh, we're pretty convinced it will come, uh, 
Uh, they accept all the regulations. They understand that from a consumer health perspective, uh, it, it really makes no sense to limit the, the, the beverage purchase at the, at the point of purchase, how many you're going to buy. Uh, but to make the actual regulatory change, we'll probably see that as part of a larger regulatory package update that will include a number of changes over the next 12 months. Very helpful. Thank you so much. Your next question comes from David Gedeckel of ATB Capital Markets. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Uh, thanks for taking my question, and uh, congrats on the quarter, uh, Sebastian Trent and team. Uh, a couple of questions. I want to start off with um, how would you describe your overall strategy now moving forward, uh, Sebastian? I know with the Xenobus acquisition, um, you know, creates a potential top three contenders here. How do we view Hexo? Moving forward, looking at your liquidity, by our calculations today, you'd have about $120 million. Um, how should we think about your growth? Is it organic um, or, or inorganic or, or maybe a combination of both uh, at this point? Thanks. Hexo has been growing now quarter over quarter for, for many quarters. Um, and so I think organic growth is name of the game. Uh, displacing market share uh, from other competitors uh, is name of the game. Seeing uh, really eliminating uh, weaker competitors that don't have, the, uh, don't have the wherewithal to offer consumers the right price point and to displace black market, uh, that, that will drive organic growth. Inorganic growth remains uh, one of the strengths that we have. So I've talked a little bit about the advantage of having a, a very large world-class manufacturing center uh, in our Belleville site. And so when you start to look at, uh, say, mid-size or smaller licensed producers, they often don't have the manufacturing wherewithal. And so you really get phenomenal synergies when you start to pair that in to a manufacturing capacity like Hexel's Belleville, which has an abundance of capacity that can be filled with extra cultivation. Um, so uh, from that sense, I don't think uh, MNA is over by any stretch. Uh, with that said, we, we have to be very cautious on MNA, uh, and uh, there are not a lot of uh, high-quality targets in Canada. And so uh, we, uh, we are entertaining discussions. Uh, Hexo is in a – it's a little-known secret in the industry, but uh, ju just about uh, every CEO uh, rings me every once in a while and says, hey, what are you thinking on MNA, and uh, do, do you want can we, to – can we join forces with Hexo? Uh, because they, they see the fundamentals, and there's a disconnect between the fundamentals and our value of the stock at the moment. And so uh, very attractive for other companies to, when they're looking at joining up with a larger partner, to, to pick Hexo as that partner. And so uh, we will certainly see more M&A in the space, and we're in ongoing discussions. Okay, that's very helpful. Thanks, uh, Sebastian, for that. Um, moving on here, my second question has to do more with your sales in, in Colorado. Um, now, I'm just wondering, when you describe, Sebastian, your success in the U.S. and Colorado specifically as this kind of pot test pilot for beverages, what are your metrics for success <clears throat> besides simply uh, sales, uh, number one? Um, and also, can you maybe give us a bit of a, a guide or goalpost for over the next year, what percentage of sales you expect uh, the U.S. to represent of uh, overall sales? Thanks. Well, I won't guide anything, David, but I can talk about a little bit about our goals. Uh, Trust, is, uh, Trust Canada uh, has achieved its goal, which was to be the number one beverage brand in its market. Trust USA has the same goal. 
Frost USA wants to be the number one beverage brand in the markets in which it operates, uh, cannabis beverages, obviously. Uh, and so, uh, and so, I think that that's the the largest uh, milestone, which is really a sales milestone. Uh, the the second one, though, which is quite exciting, is in the lean operation. So where Trust USA differs, I've mentioned, we can lever existing infrastructure. We don't have to build everything from scratch. Uh, and if you look at what it costs to build from scratch, I mean, it's a, I, I mentioned about 115 million dollars invested by both uh, Molson and Hexo. Well, about a hundred, a uh, hundred and five, a hundred and ten million of that was to stand up world-class manufacturing facilities in Canada. In the U.S., uh, we're addressing a population now of uh, five million people in Colorado, and we're doing so on single-digit millions by being very lean and leveraging the IP that we have. So we're, we have a number of capital spend uh, KPIs and uh, profitability KPIs on which we're leaning on, uh, of course, the phenomenal experience at Molson Coors to help us guide us through that to, uh, to, deliver, uh, to deliver positive cash flow from those operations. So uh, th that's another big yardstick we're using. Thanks for taking my questions and congrats on the quarter. Your next question comes from John Zamparo of CIBC. Your line is open. Hi, thanks. Good morning. Um, I wanted to ask about the uh, the industry in general, Sebastian. The, the general view from some producers, at least, seems to be that the first few months of the year have been uh, a bit softer for a variety of reasons. Seasonality, I think you mentioned, uh, but also some skew rationalization and uh, reductions in inventory held by some of the provinces and, and store lockdowns this time around don't seem to have that that boost from customer stockpiling that we saw a year ago. Um, generally, would you agree with that for calendar Q1 uh, for the industry? And, and any color you can provide on, on what you're seeing, either from consumers or, or provincial distributors, would be helpful. I'll nuance it a little bit for you, John. Uh, I think that the industry is entering its most competitive phase that it's faced since its inception. Uh, it is no longer okay for a licensed producer to simply create a product, throw it on the shelf, and move it you now have to contend directly with very competitive pricing in every category, very competitive listings with every customer, and a, a relentless pursuit of a better product in the face of consumers. And the reality is that most licensed producers are not up to the task. And you will hear more and more refrain of difficulty. You'll hear more and more the industry is having trouble. But the fact is, it's growing, growing, growing. Our industry is up almost 100% year over year, and there's not many companies like Hexo that have also grown with the industry. So it will be not enough just to grow at the speed of industry, but you'll have to actually be able to displace, and that's what we're seeing through this refrain. I've talked a lot about how I think the end game here will be three companies that control 70% market share. The number one spot will be a 40% controlling stake. Nobody has proven they can take that number one spot yet, and that's why Hexo is shooting for top two. But in this competitive set, right, we're now right on the cusp of that top two position with a shot at that number one. Uh, and, it, and to do that, you have to have world-class manufacturing to lower your cogs. You have to have world-class greenhouse production like we have in Masson Gatineau, and you have to have world-class indoor production like we're uh, re acquiring very soon uh, in Zen with Zenibus and Alphaville. Okay, that's great. Thank you for that. Um, I appreciate the uh, margin disclosure in the MDNA. I wanted to follow up on margins for the beverage side. Um, 
you took a meaningful step forward in revenue, but gross margins still negative on these. Um, so can you talk about the nature of the contribution margins of these products, or maybe talk about what percent of costs are fixed? Um, I'm really just trying to get a sense of what, what sales need to be uh, for that gross margin number to, to look a little more like your other categories. So any color on the margin profile for beverages would be helpful. Yeah, sure. Um, so look, the, with, with, with trust beverage and the, and the, uh, the cans infused beverage category, you know, there's still a fairly low volume. It's a little more capital intensive, as you can imagine, than, uh, you know, a 28 grand bag of flour. Uh, so, you know, you're going to have more overhead applied to each unit of production. And so there is a lot of fixed overheads there. You have to get up to a certain volume before you start seeing uh, positive margin. Um, so we're, you know, I, I can't tell you the exact number uh, that, uh, but you can see that we're pretty much break even at uh, three, three and a half million. So, um, you know, it's not, it's not a huge number. And uh, to Seb's point, there, there was, uh, you know, in beverage, uh, Molson Coors is uh, educating us all the time. And, you know, it's, it's very predictable that there's a slowdown coming out of the, uh, the holiday season in beverage and, uh, you know, January, February, if you think about it uh, in, in most people's lives, not a huge uh, event-driven uh, type of uh, season. So, you know, the, the volume isn't going to be there. So you're still looking at that three, three and a half million that we came off of Q1 with. It's grown 10%, which is 12% back, which is great. But, you know, look, I think over time, you're going to see that volume increase. And, and our hope is that it's going to increase dramatically. And that if we're break even at this level, I, I think it's uh, fair game to say that uh, our margins are going to improve as we apply those overheads to more and more and more grants. So it's being spread out across that entire category. All right, understood. Um, thank you very much. Your next question comes from Andrew Carter of Stiefel. Your line is open. Hey, thanks. Good morning. I wanted to kind of uh, hone in on the beverages. I guess kind of year one, biggest takeaway seems to be the beverages that taste good or, or winning. No doubt slowdowns coming over the next two months. But I wanted to ask going into the summer season, are there discussions with retailers to feature the category heavily? I know you've got the coolers. Can you give us, give us any update on cooler penetration? Just kind of starting that, maybe some more sophisticated category management that could help you guys with this leading spot, or is it kind of just more the same, everybody kind of just, you know, looking for growth? I'll start there with my first question. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, no, I, th I think more of the same is precisely what we haven't done at Hexo and, and with Trust. Uh, so Trust is first and foremost a beverage company. They don't think of themselves as a, as a cannabis company. And I think when they built the brands, uh, Scott Cooper and his team really took a look to say, what are the beverage occasions here uh, that, that we, can, we can go after specifically? And so that brings into your question, what are the limited time offerings? What are the coolers? What are the, uh, what are the promotes we could do with certain retailers, uh, in, uh, you know, obviously sticking to regulations? Uh, and the summer season is a very exciting season. I think the, a big part of the success of Trust has been that we have focused on those beverage occasions first and not just putting a strain in a bottle. We've, uh, we've really focused on crafting a really unique beverage experience. So when we walk into summer, uh, it'll be a, a really exciting time for that. I think there's plenty of opportunity on, to further refine that uh, category management. Got it. Second question I wanted to ask about Quebec. I know sales have been kind of flat as you made up for it with the momentum uh, outside Quebec. 
So just kind of wanted to ask about that. When, you know, will that line kind of be, you know, a more healthy contribution? I get that, I get that there are limitations in Quebec, but should, is this kind of what we should see, or do you expect that to reaccelerate at any point? Are you talking specifically about beverage or, or overall? Just Quebec. Uh, sorry, Sebastian, just Quebec, just the uh, Quebec adult use sales side, putting aside the beverages. Yeah, so the, the the headwind at Quebec, and and we're still we're still very much number one. We remain preferred supplier, and we we continue to 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 have phenomenal traction in the, in, in a lot of our products uh, in Quebec. But the the main headwind has been the introduction of a number of uh, craft Quebec growers. So there's a there's a number of small uh, small type growers that have introduced uh, higher THC potency offerings, and uh, that craft grow has taken a uh, taken an, a, a portion of share overall. The issue as a larger company, I mean, craft simply has not been our focus. We to be top two, we need to be over 20% share uh, long term of the market, and to do so, you you can't do that with craft. Uh, you also have just the uh, the attention and scale, right? It's very hard to do craft at a large scale. With that being said, this is where strategic investment, uh, the acquisition of Zenibus, the onlining of Alphaville and the higher potency products that we can come out of there paired with our mass offering will allow us to move more into that premium mestige category. Uh, this is where the traction around our brands like Up, which we still haven't uh, fully deployed in Quebec, uh, will be very important. Uh, and so uh, specifically on certain SKUs, there's also regulatory differences. So in, in hash, for example, there's a restriction on THC potency that is not uh, out there in other, uh, in other markets. And so that, that can cause a, a slowdown. And there's also certain restrictions on uh, individual units. Um, on that note, on individual units, when you look at beverages, we just recently made a deal with Quebec to launch a 5-milligram version of our XMG product. Uh, beverage, which is usually a, uh, a 10 milligram product uh, in the rest of the country. So that will start to create meaningful traction. So we maintain a very healthy dialogue, and Quebec's doing a phenomenal job of being, I think, the, the certainly the most profitable uh, provincial distributor in the country. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll keep uh, refining the product offering to, uh, to, to continue to have share. And let me Thanks, just jump in there. Uh, let me jump. Andrew, just let me jump in there. Uh, thanks for taking, uh, thanks for jumping on the call here. The um, in Quebec, actually, uh, Zenibus is a very heavy competitor uh, in Quebec. They're, they've been gaining traction in the province uh, with their premium brands, uh, specifically Namaste, and uh, have been doing a great job. Uh, a lot of uptake by consumers in that province, and so com the combination of the two of us is going to be a, a pretty, pretty. Um, uh, you know, pretty heavy, heavy competitor for for others to to try to to come in against. Uh, thanks. I'll pass it on. Again, if you'd like to ask a question, press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from Matt Bottomley of Canaccord Genuity. Your line is open. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for taking the questions. I just wanted to turn back again to to Zenibus and maybe get. Um, a little more color on, on a couple things. So, one, any sort of granularity um, on, on potential synergies that would come out of this deal uh, and maybe the classifications of them, I imagine back office and, and things like that. And then other, uh, the other side of it, just on the infrastructure side of what you're acquiring, I mean, when you consolidate it, clearly there'll be a, a PPA there and everything will be a fair value. Uh, apologies for the here. Um, but when you look at, you know, some of the takeaways from your, your transaction with New Strike and, and the overall infrastructure in the sector that seems to be 
uh, saturated. Uh, is there any risk, do you think, of, of, of needing all that infrastructure? Or do you think there's specific, um, you, you know, reasons or specific core competencies that, that you don't think that that's a concern um, with the infrastructure brought on uh, by that? Sure. Great question. Great question. So, look, uh, we alluded to it earlier. We have Belleville, right? And they have Appleville, which is, uh, again, just a great indoor grow facility here in Canada. Uh, we're going to have plenty of synergies. Uh, you know, as soon as you start pushing their cultivation through to our Belleville facility with the overhead costs relatively fixed, you're going to be applying less overhead per gram to end production, and it's going to lower the cost. Um, we also believe there's going to be a, a great um, amount of synergy on supply and imports. Uh, we have some good solid supply agreements on a lot of our cultivation techniques and a lot of the a lot of the packaging, labeling, and so on and so forth. Uh, and I think there's uh, we we've looked at it and said you know between that and then of course SG&A. Uh, where you're always going to have synergies on combinations, and uh, we're getting very aggressive right now on our on our integration planning, uh, uh, both our team at EXO and the Venevis team and, uh, combined. Um, look, we're we're looking anywhere between 15 and 20 million, um, you know, and and with with upside from there, and so that that's a it, it's it's going to be a good news story from our perspective. Now uh, around infrastructure, look. We're still going through the planning stages and integration. We know Appleville is a flagship for us. It's going to continue to be a for them and for us. Uh, they have their Langley facility. They have Stellarton here in Nova Scotia. I just happen to be sitting in Nova Scotia right now. Uh, and so they're, they're, we're going to be looking at it all and, and trying to understand what, what's going to be the best use of, uh, of um, you know, assets and, and where it all fits in the long term. Uh, we've mentioned this before. Look, we have had a, a capacity issue looming coming up, and we knew that. And so this solves a big problem for us, and it does in a way that's uh, that's even more accretive than going out and getting more more greenhouse. Uh, so I think, in general, there's there's room to be optimistic that uh, that uh, we're on the right path in terms of infrastructure. Okay, appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Your next question comes from John Chu of Desjardins Capital. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. So my first question is just on the war on plastic goods sold and just overall OPEX saving. Last quarter you mentioned that you might try to pass on some of those savings just to help drive sales. So I'm just curious whether or not that was the case for the second quarter and if that's still the plan for going forward. Yeah, thanks, John. Uh, so overall in Q2, uh, I would say not really would be the answer to your question. So in terms of Q2, uh, go forward, absolutely. So we will continue to pass on those savings. We're targeting mid-30s margins, and, and we think – I say we're targeting – you have to bring back to the overall strategy. We believe that price is dictated by black market. And I want to take a moment to maybe congratulate the whole industry. I, I had an anecdote the other day. I went to uh, to one of the black market, one of the large black market sites that feeds uh, that feeds the whole country. And that black market site a year ago had over 50 flower skews. Uh, and uh, I'll credit our move at Hexo of resetting the industry pricing on the ounce bag with original stash. But today that black market site had one single flower skew, and it was north of $400 an ounce. So I think that as an industry, when you look at the $2.9 billion number at retail, that is consuming a majority of uh, the black market, and that's really pushed it out. 
Hexo specifically has a strategy to price to and to beat black market. And to do so, we have to keep flowing through our cogs. The advantage is that given that we have so much automation and technology going into Belleville, we're nowhere near the bottom of what we can do uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of that war on COGS, and we keep finding new significant synergies. Uh, and that's without, of course, talking about, I mean, Trent mentioned uh, the, the M&A synergies, which are going to be significant on their own. But on a unit basis, uh, we keep improving. And so uh, that will flow through the, to the consumer, and that's what eventually brings us to that market that will have three competitors. Okay, great. And then just following up on one of the earlier questions, uh, when it comes to Ontario, we've heard that they've been delaying their, their restocking efforts. And obviously the, the new CEO, with the departure of the CEO uh, of OCS, probably doesn't help. But can you maybe just give us in some insights in terms of whether or not you've been seeing any restocking or reordering by Ontario? And we also heard they had eliminated around 1,800 SKUs and whether or not any of your SKUs were, were eliminated and or if you actually saw a net increase in SKUs with, with the upbrand and whatnot. So any insights there would be helpful. Thanks. Yeah, so Ontario has undertaken a rationalization strategy, so we'll, uh, we'll wait to connect uh, with, uh, with David Lobo and his team to see if that remains the case uh, as they're waiting for their uh, potential new, uh, new CEO to come in. Uh, but they, so th there's been an overall major rationalization. Uh, Hexo has had that as an opportunity more than a headwind. Uh, and so, uh, again, it's a question of rationalizing to SKUs that consumers want, and that ties into first being able to achieve that black market pricing. Uh, but there is a lot of uncertainty right now, of course, uh, with, the, uh, with the leadership. So we are looking forward to clearing that up. But we're in tight communications and uh, intend to, uh, to, to continue to build a, a preferred partnership with Ontario. Yeah, and I'll, I'll even chime in there a bit. I mean, if you can recall, the, you know, we were the 17th LP into the market in Ontario. Uh, at the end, of, we've been making steady progress in terms of our penetration into the Ontario market, and we're fifth in terms of uh, Canada WAC sales at the end of Q1. Uh, and now we are going back and forth between third and fourth in terms of the headset data we've been seeing in the last uh, four to six weeks. So, you know, lots of lots of momentum uh, in, in, through the OCS. Okay, great. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. I will now return the call to Mr. St. Louis for closing remarks. Thanks, everybody, for your questions. Great to continue to share the HEXO journey with all of you. Thanks to the whole team for making it happen, giving to EBITDA positive. And uh, big thanks, of course, to our consumers. They like our pot, and they like our stock. So let's go. Thanks very much. We'll talk soon. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website.
See you next time.